Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Part of the Boundless Audio Podcast Network. Hey everyone out there, how are you doing today? Muy bien, ¿y tú cómo estás? She breaks in with the Spanish. Well, you were asking a question, and I didn't know if I was supposed to respond or let it sit in silence. Both. No, kidding. Uh, okay. I just want to say I hope everyone is doing wonderful, and welcome to Whining About Her Story, the Women's History Podcast, where we talk about women you probably haven't heard of and have a little bit of wine while doing it. Yeah. I went simple today. I had more, and then I completely forgot it. I need to write down my intros. And who are you? I'm no one. No, I'm, Ke- I'm, I'm Kelly. A Kelly has no name. Wait. <laughs> Damn it. I'm Emily. That was actually like a really lovely and like, just like, hey, everyone. I, like you I just, hope you're all doing well. You need some chill right now. We're all okay. Actually, one of our listeners, uh, and now like one of our friends, Marissa, she... <laughs> At the beginning of one of our more recent episodes, I was like, should I just start this out by screaming? And she sent me a Snapchat. She's like, I heard you saying that. And I was like, dear God, Emily, please don't. I haven't had my coffee. <laughs> I'm like, well, I didn't scream. Well, it's like I, I've loudly. seen on TikTok <laughs> lately. Everyone's like, did you know in your, bra- in your mind you don't have to breathe? So if you need to scream, you can just... Kelly, are you trying to take a shit right now? No, you're screaming in your head. Because you don't have oh. to breathe, so you can just scream as long as you want in your head. It's not the same. I kind it of... It helps a little when you're in a stressful situation where you cannot scream aloud. Okay, what I will say, um, when I've worked with kids... I Okay, I've never sworn in front of my kids, ever. Uh, what just I have done... Stream of swear words What I have head. done is like look at another teacher and just like mouth... Like, fuck me, <laughs> didn't say it, mouthed it. And that was actually very cathartic right. where it's like all the kids are screaming and you just look at the other person who's also like, I kind of wish I was dead right now. And you're like, right. me too, sis, fuck me. And it, I don't know, it feels really good to like exchange that knowing look and to yeah. just make the, the mouth shape. I, I will say like when you're, when you're having those, one of those moments that you're like really stressed and you're taking that deep breath. Yeah. If, if as you're taking that deep breath, you just scream in your head, it, it helps. Something else that really helped one time, uh, the kids were being super loud and we'd like set everything up for a snack. And I, it was like all the teachers in the room were just in sensory overload because it felt like it just had nev- just not been quiet days. all yeah. day. So we were playing kids bop on the computer and one of the teachers just slowly starts cranking it and we all start dancing. And this is like, like sad mom dancing where it's like break this shit out in the club if I don't want anyone to approach me (laughs) and the kids got so weirded out that they all shut up and it was amazing because not only did the kids shut up shut the fuck up but like being able to dance and just like you know punch the air and be like yeah shaking my hips like being able to get that physical energy out out was really I was like oh my god I feel like it's, it, it was a it substitute helps. for screaming. Yeah. Instead of being like, no, thank you, friends. We don't bite each other. Ah! <laughs> Sorry, Marissa. I hope you had your coffee. <laughs> Listen to this one later in the day. Yep, it's fine. Um, So, a little, little bit of housekeeping. 
We have housekeeping. We do because we're still selling our because it's still July. That was really racist. right. It is what nothing. Oh, me, <laughs> me being racist. Um. Well, you can crap. Just cut that out. <laughs> I don't know if I can. So. We are still selling our pro-choice designs and 100% of the proceeds go to the National Abortion Fund to make sure everyone has access to health care, even if they're in a state that is determined to say they don't. So Yay. buy that shit. It's really cute. I love it. Shit. Okay. It is, it you, is really cute. Did, we got uh, ours. Yeah, I, and I forgot it. Like yeah. I, I left and I realized, oh, shit, I didn't get my yeah, stuff. Yeah, we never even opened it when you were here. Because I totally forgot. I got very distracted by that chair falling down and scaring the ever-living crap out of us. Where I was like, is that a firework? Did a firework blow someone's face off? Because it sounds like it didn't go well. <laughs> no, <sighs> my dogs are just trying to scare the shit out of us. Well, mission accomplished. I feel like that's a trope in of itself on this podcast because Dory came in, or no, not Dory. Atari. Atari busted in, and I thought she was the little Grim Reaper, and she scared the hell out of me. Uh, we had Carl's dog, who was, like, eating in the bathroom upstairs. Oh, God, yeah, I forgot about And nudging the bowl, and it was this, like, horrifying Weird. scraping yeah. sound coming from the ceiling, and I'm like, okay, Kelly, have you the named your ghost going yet? On in your house? <laughs> well, yeah, there's those just two a lot. Dogs can't bother us anymore. There's, there's just a lot. Now going it's just on. the one that scratches at the door. Both of them that scratch at the door and knock shit over. Yeah, and you know who knows? Maybe they have other surprises up their tiny little paws. I hope not. I also hope not, but we'll see. You see, that would be really great if we were a creepy podcast. You know, where it's like, oh, it's a haunting. No, it's it's the dogs. No, it's and the it's dogs. not on brand for us. So I picked the wine today, mm-hmm. and I picked this delightfully dusty bottle that I kind of forgot They're that all we kind had. Of dusty. They're all a little dusty right now, but you know what? That makes them look all cool and vintage. Uh, so I picked out Brothers Miller. I don't think it's Millier. It's not Stephen. Oh. Sorry, Stephen. Not, not this week. Uh, Pinot Noir from Santa Barbara County. It's a 2018, which I read that, and I'm like, that was a million years ago. It's pre-COVID. I couldn't even tell you what I was doing in 2018. It was so long ago. I don't know. I maybe the I was time eating, before we were all locked inside. Maybe I was eating pizza. Probably. Living my best life. Always. But that could have also been in COVID or 10 minutes ago. All my best memories revolve pizza. around eating pizza. Okay, so the back says, we are a fifth generation, and fifth generation is capitalized unnecessarily, fifth generation California grape farmers. Oh, not a fifth generation. We are fifth generation. I haven't had anything to drink, and I already can't read. It's the pizza. I feel like, actually, if I'm drinking, I read better because I'm not overthinking. correctly. Yes, but with confidence, so it sounds like I'm being funny instead of illiterate. Since 1871, our family has been committed to sharing Santa Barbara County's incredible wines with the world. Now, with your funding, two brothers can keep the legacy going. Aw. You're welcome. Dos hermanos. We hope you enjoy this coastal Pinot Noir. It's one of our most recognized wines in the region. Dot, dot, dot. For good reason. Ooh, that's Ooh, sinister. That's ominous. Yeah. Ominous. <laughs> <Got> goosebumps. <laughs> With silky texture and vibrant fruit flavors like red berries and cherry pie. 
That's very, That's very specific. specific. <laughs> I thought we were just going to start. Na- it's weird. It went from red berries, which I was to like, cherry That's super vague to a very specific dessert. Well, okay. I like that. Uh, cherries are red berries. So I they know. really already like covered that base. <laughs> this is just going to be liquid cherry pie. Uh, this wine is California living in a glass, smooth, relaxed, and satisfying as a beach sunset with gratitude. Nick and Marshall Miller, who are feuding with their third brother, Stephen, who rebranded to be Stephen <laughs> We're on to you, Stephen. Stephen, I know what's up. Hey, hey, I get it. You can't pick your family. You know what? Sometimes your family sucks and they have a competing winery. Who knows? All right. Well, uh, what are we cheersing to? Cheersing to my pizza burps, apparently. <laughs> Well, isn't it Disabled Pride Month? Disability is, Pride yeah, Month? Yeah, it's uh, Disability Pride Month. There you go. So we've been doing some social media posts on that because we've covered several uh, women with disabilities in the past who are all fucking badasses. We actually just covered... Um, fuck, I just had a poke. Kitty Cone! Mm-hmm. I'm like, she's got a really cool name. It's not Kit Kat, though. <laughs> but it's That's a, her nickname, It's though. a K... It's a, a ca-ca sound. Right. Well, Cheers. To Disability Pride Month and the badass women with disabilities we've covered. And we'll continue to cover. Cheers. 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 My cherry pie. Actually, the best were quite good. It actually, you know what it tastes? It tastes like an old wooden picnic bench with a red flannel sheet over it with cherry pie on the table and like traditional picnic fixings. I'm not getting the wood, but okay. It's, see, I'm definitely getting like an aftertaste of wood. Like I'm sucking on a two by four right now. Um, also, this wine's been sitting there for a while, so I'm not saying that, you know, we've helped its case. But it has kind of this, it doesn't give a California feel to me, but it gives like a southern summer picnic. Yeah, I would say Midwest, Midwestern, like, like country summer. picnic. It's, it's good. I like it. Yeah. That's oh, a Pinot Noir. Yeah. I mean, for a Pinot Noir... I actually like this. Usually they're a little too intense for me. They're a little light on the Pinot, heavy on the Noir, or vice versa. I don't know which is supposed to taste like what. But I actually, yeah, I like this. I quite enjoy it. Yeah. Good job, Dos Hermanos. Hermanos Miller. I say Dos Hermanos Miller. Yes. Si. Si. All right. Well. You get to go first. Oh, shit. That's right. So you did the intro. Crap. I thought I was getting off so easy. All right. Just reading the back wine label. So much easy. You know what? It's fun. I feel like it feels like it's been a while because we didn't drink for our last two episodes. So I feel like I haven't gotten yeah. to read a sexy wine label in quite some time. That's true. ASMR. Well, and I think the last time. Be- <laughs> Sorry. The last time before that, we we did two episodes, but we only drank one bottle of wine. That's right. That's right. Because we were like, wine. we finished this bitch. Yeah, we were like, this is good wine. Let's just it keep drinking. Wine. All right. Now that everyone is turned off, yep. ASMR mommy. Uh, today I'm whining about the Blood Sisters of San Diego. Ooh. That sounds ominous too. Spanish for a whale's penis. San Diego. Is it really? No, it's okay. it's a joke from Anchorman. I haven't you know, seen Anchorman a movie in a long time. That came out a billion years ago. That was actually the first adult movie I saw in theaters because I was on a 
and away swim meet in Quincy, Illinois. What's up, Illinois? And we all got to go to a movie and Anchorman was the choice. I don't know who chose it or who let it happen, but, but it did. I like, I almost peed myself. I laughed so fucking it's, hard. It's a funny movie. It's just been a long it time is. since I've seen it. But yeah. They're, they're Will Ferrell is talking about like Sandy. It was like special whales, penis and Christine Applegate's like, no, no, no. <laughs> no, it's absolutely not. And I think he actually, Maybe it's a whale's vagina. I feel like he ad-libbed a few different Probably. whale genitalia jokes. But anyway, enough about Anchorman. Although we're going to need it because my story is... Vi- genitalia. My story is kind of a bummer. Mine's a little bit more upbeat. Am I? Okay, good. Because mine, like the first sentence is a bummer. So we've discussed before about how the HIV and AIDS crisis in the United States was devastating, particularly to the LGBTQ plus community. Particularly to gay men. Yes. Yep. Not only were there limited treatments for HIV and AIDS, but most people from neighbors to the clergy to medical professionals and even the goddamn government wanted nothing to do with the gay men who were predominantly suffering from the disease out of fear and prejudice. Such a fun combination. God. In its early days, the disease was actually called Gay-Related Immunodeficiency Disease, or GRID. Yeah. I love those acronyms. Goddamn. Uh, and this wasn't just like a sense of apathy that people had, or they're like, oh, it's not my problem. It translated into direct mistreatment. And as we've discussed way back in episode 19, when I covered the illustrious Ruth Coker Burks. Right. It, it- Resulted in neglect. Yeah, nurses wouldn't even enter an AIDS patient's room, allowing him to literally waste away alone crying for his mother. That's just so terrible. That's still fuck. I was writing this and I started tearing up. Like that whole story still fucks me up. Because that's just such a vulnerable thing. Like this is a man who has been abandoned by literally everyone, including the nurses that are supposed to take care of him. And all he wants, like, it, like he, he just kind of reverts to a little boy right. who like wants his mother. Like, he cries for his mom, but it's like, I'm sure he would take anyone. Yeah, but his mom was, like, he's yeah. dead to me. And I'm like, you're a bitch, and I hate you. Right. Anyway. One gay man living in San Francisco during the crisis recalled, quote, I was young and I had just come out when the virus hit. I was lucky and didn't contract HIV, but all of my friends from the time are dead. It just happened so quickly. There was incredible fear. People were dying so, so fast, and there were so many of them. I remember doctors being scared to go in the hospital rooms where my friends were dying. I feel ashamed of this, but I was scared too. No one knew what to do. And here's the thing. You're a gay man that's just come out of the closet when this disease is ripping through your your friend circle. I don't blame him for being scared. And doctors what to do. are they have to treat you right like, like i get in the beginning being there's being cautious, being cautious and then there's not exactly. doing your fucking like, job just do what they did for covid go in in full hazmat suits but you need to go in there like and there assist were assist people there were people treating people with ebola like fuck off right. yeah but i don't know i i thought that was so human how he's like all my friends are dead they were dying and i was scared you know, I, I didn't know what to do. I'm like, that's because you're not a doctor. You're not a medical professional. You're someone whose society is basically made an outcast, 
a very valiant effort in showing you that no one gives a crap about what happens to you. And even the doctors that are supposed to at least comfort your friends don't give a shit. Right. Anyway. Sorry. I. This is I a just, topic that I, I get a little heated about. I can't imagine I get being angry. in a helping profession and just being like, you know what, this, these particular people, I'm not going to help. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't there like the Hippocratic Oath? Well, let's do no harm. Well, isn't there also a whole thing but about like you like, got to treat everyone regardless? Not, not helping them is doing harm. Yeah. So even in the fa- the face of overwhelming neglect, cruelty, and fear, there are helpers. And today we're going to talk about a group of them. Yay. So Kelly was asking me before we started recording what story I was doing, and I didn't want to give it away. So I said, a gay group project. She's like, what? I'm like, it's a gay group project. Because <laughs> you know I love I a good group so project. Confused. I hate group projects. And now it's, well, I love a good group project. And all the group projects I've covered are good. Because none of them were asshole, asshole high schoolers. Right. I mean, it happens <laughs> in college, too. Or college st- students. Yeah, it's fine. So it, in, ni- in the 1980s, HIV and AIDS was devastating the gay man men. Excuse me. There was not one single man. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. Uh, Of San Diego, California. And within just two years, the San Diego Democratic Club, a predominantly queer organization, lost half of their male members to the disease. That's so sad. During this time, HIV and AIDS was essentially a death sentence and treatments could only delay the inevitable or make the sufferer more comfortable as they declined. So gay men had also been barred from donating blood for fear of accidentally transmitting the disease to someone else. And it would be very easy to feel helpless at this time. But the lesbian members of the San Diego Democratic Club wouldn't stand by while members of the queer community suffered. So in 1983, the San Diego Blood Sisters were born, which is such a badass name. I do love that. Fucking A, yes, give it to me. So these lesbian crusaders stepped in to fill in the gaps in care for HIV and AIDS patients and within the medical system as a whole. Because gay men were prohibited from donating blood, the Blood Sisters organized blood drives to ensure that there was enough blood to meet demand. And for their first blood drive, the group like expected slash hoped for about 50 people, which I would say- They're like, we just hope someone shows up. Like 50 people? I'd be like, wow, that's impressive. But instead, 200 women showed up and donated blood. Holy fucking shit. Like, that's amazing. That's awesome. And according to CaliforniaRevealed.org, this is thought to be one of the first blood drives. I couldn't find anything else that definitively, like, said that when I was trying to look up, like, what was the first blood drive? All I could find was, like, history of blood banks. I'm like, that's not... It's not what I'm looking for. It's a very different word. I get it's in the same family, but I'm looking for something very different. Come on, Google. Get the algorithm in check. But I think we can at least say it was like an early one. Yeah. If not the first one of the. So I thought that was really cool. Like it kind of blows my mind. No one had the idea to have a blood drive before because there were. Uh, there were blood banks mm-hmm. and there were calls for people to go and donate, but the whole idea of like hosting a blood drive yeah, was new. Yeah. According to a 1983 story by the LGBTQ plus radio program out in San Diego, Aww. one of the blood sisters named Bridget Wilson explains the concern that a regular blood donor had that prompted the blood drive and the creation of the blood sisters. So Bridget says, 
She was concerned. It struck her at the time that a man who, oh, excuse me. Sorry, I like got lost in my lines. So she says she was concerned. It struck her that at the time that a man who say was in an auto wreck would find himself unable to replenish his fund, his pool of blood from the donor pool the way that most people do, because chances are a great number of the people he knew would be gay men as donors. And this kind of I was like, wait a minute. Do you have to find your own blood donors at the time because that's what that quote made me think yeah, of. yeah it really does because I it's not like all gay men have the same blood type but it might uh I I don't know but basically they're like well we have a you know we're gonna have a deficiency in the blood pool because gay, gay men, men can't, can't donate, donate and then also everyone's like terrified of gay men and their blood in particular so the initial blood drive was advertised through the community by word of mouth and utilizing queer outlets like yeah. out in San Diego. And you could hear like the, the whole radio broadcast of that. And at first I was like, is this actually from 1983? Because it sounded very good. And then the second they started interviewing people, I was like, this definitely sounds like the 80s. Oh, and they're saying it's the 80s. Okay. It's the 80s. <laughs> I was like, wow, the 80s had great radio. <laughs> Better than like our first two episodes. Just saying. So the Blood Sisters were able to set up an account with a private blood bank in the city that allowed donors to designate their blood donations, ensuring that blood was able to go to HIV and AIDS patients. So like when you donate to a nonprofit, you can give a general donation that they can do anything they want with. Or you can give it to it. You can designate your donation to so go to something specific. maybe people were just being dicks and being like, do not give to AIDS patients. I, I wonder. I don't, I don't entirely know because it, like I said, that quote made it sound like, like if I end up in the hospital and I need blood, I have to like start hitting up my friends being like, who's a B positive y'all, you know, that'd be so, but maybe, maybe it was like the only people who would help would be in, you know, predominantly gay men in that circle. I don't know, but there was a need and the blood sisters were like, we're going to address that need. We got you. And then, yeah, ensuring that blood was going to go to HIV and AIDS patients because they're yeah, also being great. neglected in a lot of ways. So not only did the blood drive serve the practical purpose of supplying, supplying blood to patients who were being neglected, but it also showed the community that they were they were not, in fact, alone. And they're, oh, God, I'm there so sorry. There were people willing to stand by them. I'm so emotional. It's bringing out my pizza burps. I'm so full of gas and emotion. Um, but yeah, there were people out there who cared in a time when no one else seemed to, <laughs> which like, I don't know. That just, that just breaks my heart. It does. Along with blood drives that ran through the nineties. So they just like kept doing this. The blood sisters flooded hospitals and homes as volunteers, nurses, and caretakers. Cause again, the people whose jobs it is to actually do this didn't want We're to. Doing it. And they did a lot of the kind of things that Ruth Coker Burks was doing, like helping people apply for social security, finding places to live, um, doing groceries and errands and eat, all of just that being stuff. being with them. Yeah, too. just being a general caretaker because their friends were dying and couldn't help them or their family d- didn't care about them or they didn't want to out themselves to their family. Uh, like you really run out of places to turn very quickly. And it's just, it's heartbreaking. So the fear surrounding HIV and AIDS was extreme, to say the least. And while we know now that it can only be transmitted through... 
blood, semen, rectal fluids, vaginal fluids, and breast milk. And even then, it like has to come into contact with mucous membrane or damaged tissue. Like it has to get inside of you. At the time, people feared that touching something a patient had touched or even being in the same room with them could transmit the disease. Even medical professionals who knew better, because they fucking did, didn't want to interact with patients. And it's hard to distinguish how much of this was like legitimate fear and how much was due to homophobia. I have a feeling it's like a really great smoothie of nasty. It's like one of those nasty vegetable smoothies and it's all spinach and beets and you can't tell, but it's all gross. So the Blood Sisters were one lesbian group among many that stepped up to fill gaps in the medical system and to help out gay men who were suffering. According to Jad Adams, a UK historian who made the documentary AIDS, The Unheard Voices, which came out in 1987, which I'm like, that's pretty damn quick yeah, for us to already be talking about that. So the documentary examines the epidemic in the UK and the US. He says, quote, In the USA and the UK throughout the 80s and 90s, lesbians were active and much appreciated for their caring role in looking after men with AIDS, hospital visits, social security forms, befriending, and so on. It is important to remember that a lot of these men were not out to their families or were explicitly rejected by their families. They really needed the support which gay-friendly women could provide. Like, allies. Like... We're all in this together. Fuck the homophobes that are being dicks and I hate it. I'm just, I'm trying to inject some levity in this. It's so hard because this is just, it's, it's a hard topic. Yeah. So I don't think it can be understated how important it was for people to step up and show their support. So many AIDS sufferers were outed and rejected by their families and left to die alone. The queer community was all they had during a time when they were most scared, rejected, and alone. Like, this is the time they they need connection and community the most. And, like, whenever I think of pride and the gay community and all, like, just the whole sense of community, this is that. This is why that's so important because even now... Sometimes that's all you have. Yeah. The Blood Sisters started in 1983, but then President Ronald Reagan wouldn't publicly acknowledge HIV and AIDS until 1897. Good job. So quite a while later. By then, an estimated 36,000 Americans had been diagnosed with HIV and approximately 20,000 were already dead. And... If I had to take a stab in the dark, I'd say those numbers are kind of conservative because a lot of people were like really trying to hide this. In the end, the blood sisters, sisters, excuse me, did more than supply blood to those in need. They stepped up to fill the places of those who had abandoned AIDS patients due to their fear and hate. They were critical in maintaining a community long persecuted and fighting against the stigma that was and still is literally killing people. Yeah. So I want to end this with another quote from Bridget Wilson from that same 83 radio interview from out San Diego. That still feels very relevant today. There's just a lot of anti-gay hysteria that's coming out. And the type of bigotry has a habit of not just happening to men. You know, we're talking about homosexuals as a group. And I think we really need to talk to the public about the difference between being high risk for AIDS or even having AIDS, turning AIDS patients into lepers, then just deciding that anyone, especially any gay 
any man who is gay is dangerous to be in the same room with. Right. So this whole idea that we need to have a public conversation about this so we can all be better educated and respond appropriately. And it's not even like respond like treating people with dignity, but like we can be safe and we can feel confident in being safe because we know the truth. We're not being subjected to this homophobic fear mongering. Right. And I hate that that's still an argument that we're having because there are so many places where schools are prohibited from talking about same-sex relationships. We're not even talking like AIDS, which I understand that's a scary topic. That's a heavy topic. It's very sad. We're just talking about being a homosexual. Yeah, we're talking about like the parents of kids in the class. We're talking about kids in the class. We're talking about the teachers. We're talking about the administrator. Like that's not scary but we won't talk about it. Mm -hmm. And that's just going to perpetuate this bullshit even longer. And that sucks. But that is my story on the blood sisters of San Diego, because I thought it was nice to have another story in the midst of this horrible crisis of people stepping up and being helpers. Yeah. Like look for the helpers. If you're feeling really bummed out, look for the helpers. And if you don't see any, be the helper. Also donate blood. Or keep trying like I do, even though my hemoglobin's always too damn low. God damn it. Eat more red meat. I I feel like I do. Oh, I don't know what's so happening. I need to have, I need to plan it out and just like eat a burger every before. night. No, like every night. Because I'll like red meat load the night before I give blood and I'm still just just shy so I really it needs to be like a week or two week long endeavor every night every Every night night forever forever. every night forever does okay so does red wine count can it count no I don't think this (laughs) is there iron in here (laughs) I very much well I'm sure there's a little hold on hold on I'm actually I'm gonna look at the ingredients uh I should not drink beverages during pregnancy um i'm not seeing an it's not like an ingredient list, list no online. there's not this is 13.8 percent though hey guys we know times have been tough lately for all of us and during hard times it can be difficult if you don't have anyone to talk to or it can be hard to talk about certain topics being alone with your thoughts can be isolating this is why we are sponsored by better help better help offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen to and help you talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience better help is customized online therapy that offers video phone and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to thank goodness. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that gives you access to the help that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. That is Amazon fast. Then you schedule secure video and phone sessions. Plus you can exchange unlimited messages and everything you share is completely confidential, just like with an in-person therapist. You can request a new therapist at any time at no additional charges. If you want to talk to someone about your mental health, you can get a 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash herstory. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash herstory. Alrighty then. 
So, Kelly, you said your story is a little more upbeat than mine. It is a little more upbeat. Well, thank God. (laughs) I felt felt bad writing this. I'm like, I don't know how to introduce this in a, a lighter way. And honestly, maybe I shouldn't. So, very first sentence. HIV and AIDS. It's awful. That's where we are right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry people were terrible and that we're, we still have to but talk about it. not everyone Not everyone. The Blood Sisters were badasses. And honestly, I hope they all had like matching jackets. Heck yeah. Because that's fucking sweet. Black with like blood red writing. Yes. Blood Sisters. Goddamn. So yeah, Kelly, who are you whining about today? I am whining about Kitty O'Neill. Mm. It's funny because you mentioned a kitty and I'm like, oh God, I my did. first name is Kitty again. Oh my God. I love a good kitty. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> um, so yeah. Except my kitty because he scratches the fuck out of me. Oh, I used to love him. God, he was being such a dick today. I was, I like had my hands under my pillow. I was completely under my blankets and somehow he like. While staying above the blankets, like reached his paws in and immediately just was able to detect where my skin was and was scratching me. I'm like, I have 30 more minutes before my alarm goes off. I'm not getting up and feeding you, you little son of a bitch. <laughs> Angry. Yeah. So tell me, tell me about your kitty, your nice kitty, who's not going to scratch me. Uh, no, I'm kidding. So At least ki- hopefully not in a bad way. Right. So Kitty Lynn O'Neill was born in Corpus Christi, Texas. On March 24th, 1946. Nice. Yay, March babies. Aw. Her father, John, was an officer in the United States Army Air Force and was an oil wildcatter. I had to keep that word in there. I looked it up. So a wildcatter is a prospector or a person who sank, like, a lot of money into exploratory oil wells. Okay. So he's someone, like, looking for oil, basically, or putting money towards looking for oil. And I'm like, I had never heard that before. I... I mean, I love it's not even aspiring oil entrepreneur. Like there's a specific name. Do other jobs have names like that where it's like you're not actually doing it, but you're trying? Because I I think of like amateur or aspiring, but no, wild catter. Yep. One word. Wild catter. One word. Anyways. Fucking Texas. um, Her husband, not her husband, her dad would die in an airplane crash during Kitty's childhood. Oh, shit. That's sad. Her mother, Patsy, was a native Cherokee Indian. um, And at five months of age, Kitty contracted simultaneously measles, mumps, and smallpox. Vaccinate your fucking kids. And I'm not saying this to her mom because this is the 40s and I get... Maybe that was not available, but I'm telling all of you people existing in the here and now vaccinate your fucking children. I saw an ad at the gym for vaccination for that, for whooping cough vaccination for adults. And their tagline was whooping cough. It's not just for children. And I'm like, no, what we have to talk about whooping cough and adults. Is this the 1800s? Like, if you're if you're vaccinated for it as a child, do you need to get va- like? Is it? I don't does think it, so. Does your va- vaccination expire? Because you like you need to get your MMR vaccine every like ten years or something. I I don't know, but I'm like I have never seen a whooping mm-hmm. cough vaccination commercial. Nope. Like. I mean, absolutely not <laughs> mmr was almost wiped out and then people were like it's fine i don't need to vaccinate anymore and now it's back well i know but isn't that horrifying like whooping cough is something you hear about when you're reading like little house on the prairie shit like oh yeah. old people turning their own butter and dying of whooping cough how quaint 
Anyways. So she didn't get measles, mumps, and rubella. She got measles, mumps, and smallpox. That fucking sucks. Um, and it's her mother probably saved her life um, because she was like a homemaker and she immersed Kitty into an ice bath. And that probably like saved her life to stop her like from because, you know, all of those kind of you get a really high fever and your body just shuts down. Well, and don't all of those have some kind of rash associated with them? Like mumps, measles, mumps and smallpox all have some sort of mumps. Yeah. Like, ugh. Um, due to this nasty trifecta of diseases, Kitty would lose her hearing. Oh. Um, her deafness, however, was not apparent right away because she was only five months old. Yes. Um, and so it became more apparent by the age of two. Um, and when her mother caught on, her mother decided not to teach her sign language. I don't know how well developed sign language was in the late 40s. Yeah. But her mom chose not to teach her sign language and instead taught her lip reading and how to speak by putting um, Kitty's hands on her vocal cords to teach her like the vibrations of the different words. So I I just want to put a quick clarification. I feel like when you said, because she was only five months old, I feel like the yes I said sounded excited. It did a little bit. I was like, I'm just going to ignore that. That's not what I meant. It's just we, I've worked with a lot of kids where that was the situation. The child was born hard of hearing. And it wasn't until they were little. They're older and they're missing milestones or their speech isn't developing properly. They get tested. And then they, so when you said that, I was like, yeah, I, I, I'm very familiar with that story. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yes. It wasn't like, yeah. Deaf infants. So, yeah. But also, it was not common to teach ASL at this time, exactly. I don't think, because yeah, it I don't was, know how well developed it, it was. It was all about assimilation, and ASL was actually outlawed. Well, it was and, banned for a period well, of time. And, like, I'm sure her mom already knew that, like, being part Cherokee Indian in the 40s, yeah. this girl's already going to have problems. Well, and I also wonder what kind of access they had to like treatment or specialists or that kind of thing like with speech therapists are they are they hanging around in no the 40s idea. um her mom would actually go on to become a speech therapist <gasps> oh and would God. um co-found a school for students with hearing impairments in wichita falls texas so I go mom fucking love her right her mom's That's like okay mom. i taught i taught my daughter all this shit now i'm gonna help everyone else's kids go ma'ams go ma'ams Go, man. Um, so in the years that followed, uh, Kitty would learn to play piano and cello, feeling the music through her hands and feet. That's so beautiful. She's tough. She's tough. Except, except she can see. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry. That wasn't the perfect no, that's, analogy. Yeah, no. But um, that whole idea of like feeling the vibrations through your feet and yep. that's how you process That's actually why a lot of like deaf people like music, but they listen to it really loudly so that they can feel the vibrations. That's cool. I wonder... Okay, I wonder what songs would would speak to me more if I just was Probably able to bass, process them through the, the vibrations. Like, if the same songs would still really speak to me, or... I don't know, but that, know. that's... Yeah, it's, it's inter- it would be interesting. I okay. love that. She's just, she's enjoying the same things just in her own way. Exactly. Kitty would also become a competitive 10-meter platform diver and a 3-meter springboard diver. Holy she, shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's doing she's doing the damn things. Um, She would actually go on to win Amateur Athletic Union Diving Championships, like a bunch of them when she was young. And she would actually start training with diving coach Sammy Lee to compete. Like, she wanted to work toward competing in the Olympics. Go kitty, go kitty. Right. 
Sadly, no. just before the trials of the 1964 Olympics, no. um, she broke her wrist and contacted spinal meningitis. Jesus Christ, Kitty! <laughs> she never gets just one thing at a time. Oh my God! Um, so obviously sp- spinal meningitis was threatening her ability to walk and ended any chance for a position on the Olympic diving team. That can kill you, and oh, yeah. very quickly. And doctors told her that she's she, there was a good chance she would never walk again. <gasps> Within two weeks... Kitty was out of bed, walking around and searching for a new way to reinvent herself. Quote, I got sick, so I had to start all over again. And I got bored is what she told um, a sports network like broadcaster later in life. I wanted to do something fast, speed, motorcycle, water skiing, (sighs) boat, anything. She's such a little renegade. She's She's like, like, I I want real bored. I want to go high. I want to go fast. And I want to be loud. Right. Um, unfortunately, this wasn't Kitty's last bout with diseases. In her late 20s, she would go undergo two treatments for cancer, and but survive both. Jesus, okay. I can't tell if she's like the most unfortunate person or the most fortunate because she's going through all this shit, but she's also surviving it. She's a true, ba- and she's deaf. You have to remember, like, yeah. during all of this, she's deaf. Yeah. <laughs> um. So her brushes with danger didn't make Kitty shy away from doing dangerous things. By the age of 24, Kitty was racing on water and on land. She participated in both the Baja 500 and the Mint 400, which are both intense off-road races, like in off-road cars, that both still exist today, too. I know, because I looked them up. Okay. So I'm like, the fuck is the Baja 500? I think that's the new flavor of Mountain, Mountain Dew. Dew. <laughs> um... <laughs> So that's what she was doing on the road. But during this time, like I said, she was also in the water and Kitty was setting records all over. So she set the women's water skiing record by going 104.85 miles per hour on water skis. Jesus. This is 168.74 kilometers per hour for non-American listeners. <laughs> I'm like, you're just making shit up at this point. She would also set another women's record this time for speed on water. So I think she was in like a boat this time and that was 275 miles an hour or 443. Okay. When I go like 70 on the highway, I get (laughs) nervous. No, I get nervous. I'm like, I'm going too fast. Even like when I snowboarded, I'd get, I'd like go too fast. I'm like, I might actually die right now. (laughs) During this time when she was setting all of these records, she would meet stuntmen Hal Needham and Ron Hambleton. Hambleton. Yeah. Um, Alexander Hambleton. <laughs> Ron Hambleton. Anyway. Ron Hambleton. Ronald Hambleton. Um, so she would meet them while racing motorcycles. Oh my God. And would start living with Ron um, and give up racing for a time. Uh, there are some reports that she would, that she married him and kind of became like a homemaker for his kids. Okay. But. I don't know. Like, there was nothing, like, overtly. Like, that was, like, one source. I also feel like that's just the expectation. Right. Like, oh, you got, you're shacking up with this guy. You must be doing the most feminine thing possible. Exactly. Which is caring for children and being a homemaker and giving up these traditionally masculine pursuits of going fast. Right. That wouldn't last super long. Like, not her living with Ron, but yeah. her not doing stuff. Yeah. Because uh, she would soon enter stunt work. She, she would follow her boyfriend, whatever Ron was. She would follow Ron into doing stunt work. And so she would train with Hal Ron and another man named Dar Robinson. These are some great names. I know. Um, in 1976, she would actually become the first woman to perform with Stunts Unlimited. 
which was the leading stunt person agency at the time. Oh my God. She would stand in for actresses such as Lindsay Wagner in The Bionic Woman. She would dangle out a six-story window for an episode of the television show Beretta. She braved rising waters on a sinking jet plane in the in the thriller movie Airport 77, was immolated during a graveyard seance in September 30th, 1955. Wait, immolated? Like, she was set on fire. What? No! During a graveyard seance scene in the no. movie September 30th, 1955. She also rolled, crashed, and raced cars for films such as The Blues Brothers and Smokey and the Bandit 2, which I've seen The Blues Brothers. I know I've seen the first Smokey and the Bandit. I don't know if I saw the second one. Okay, So I'm like, clearly I've seen this woman's stunts. Here's my question. If she's like, okay... It doesn't sound like she's the first stunt woman. She's the first stunt woman to be hired by that, that particular company. company who was like the major stunt person but company I, at the But time. I have to say, like, did women just not do stunts or was it like a very obvious cut to like a very masculine man in a I dress hanging off of a building? That <laughs> would be like, super funny. It's like, nope, nope, that's not Greta Garbo. We see what you did there. Right. <laughs> So Kitty uh, credited her hearing impairment with helping her maintain focus during her stunts and like other things that she did. She spoke and read lips well enough that some of the directors she worked with were actually unaware that she was deaf. According to one Associated Press account, she said, quote, I know I'm deaf, but I'm still normal. The way I look at it, being handicapped is not a defect. People say I can't do things. I say to people I can do anything I want. Well, here's the thing. True story. You might be able to say, oh, you can't hear the way I can. And she's like, mm, you can't get set on fire the, the way, way I, I can. can. Bitch. <laughs> Bitch, like, please. You oh jump my off God. A, a six-story building. My, uh, so my mom used to work at a, the community college library where I grew up. And her boss actually was also deaf right. and understood by lip reading. Yep. And I had... It was the same thing. I had no idea. Yeah. And then my, my mom like mentioned it. I was like, wait, wait, wait. But like, I've had full blown conversations with her. Like I didn't understand someone being deaf and not be right. not communicating just with ASL. Cause I'm a, you know, I'm a child. I don't know anything. And my mom's like, yeah, she just reads your lips. And I'm like, what yeah. are you? Who, what? Like you had no idea. And I don't know if she lost her hearing later in life because again, like with the way she spoke, you couldn't like, yeah. I'm like, okay, so she's a witch and I love her. <laughs> right. Well, and being disabled in any form does not mean you can't do things. Exactly. Exactly. I'm just going to say that. But I thought that was so cool. Yeah. You know, and just that, yeah, you can't, you couldn't even tell. I'm like, yeah, I actually met someone in real life like that. And right. that blew my fucking little, like, 10-year-old mind. Right. Besides doing stunt work in her free time, um, Kate... Kitty, not Katie. Kitty also set her sights on breaking the land speed record because why not? She'd already broken it in a boat and on water skis. Damn right she did. So in December 6, 1976, in the southeastern Oregon Alvord Desert, I didn't know there was a desert in southeastern Oregon, <laughs> um, Kitty did set the land speed record for female drivers. She piloted a $350,000 vehicle, which is equivalent to about $1.7 million today. It was a hydrogen peroxide power three-wheeled rocket car built by a man named Bill Frederick, and it was called the SMI Motivator. I love, love it. It reached an average speed of about 512.71 miles per hour with a peak of 621 miles per hour. Kitty reportedly used only about 60% of the available thrust, and Kitty estimated that she could have exceeded 700 miles an hour if she had gone full power. Oh, my God. 
She would later recall that running this car was a beautiful experience in which the flatness of the Oregon desert seemed to move past her in a series of rolling waves, but also a little bit disappointing. She wasn't content with being the fastest woman on earth. She sought to outpace the fastest man and break the sound barrier as well and was preparing to do so the next day when she was told she could not. Excuse me, who the fuck has the gall to tell Kitty yeah, right? she can or cannot do so anything? apparently the reason Kitty got to do this was because she was contracted to do so. Like, I mean, you're not just going to pick some random person to, like, drive a, you know, $1.7 million car. She didn't, like, bring the no, car exactly. herself. She didn't buy her own no. tank. So <laughs> she was contracted to break the land speed record by this company that contracted her, but only the female one. She was obligated to allow Hal Needleham or Needham, the guy I mentioned before, not the guy she was living with, the other one. Yeah, her Um, her other buddy. So she was obligated to let Hal break the record. Um, According to the contract she signed, she was not even supposed to exceed 400 miles an hour, which obviously she did. She went 512. Um, But so Hal's sponsor, which was the toy company Marvin Glass and Associates, um, was apparently preparing a Hal action figure. And so obtained an injunction to stop Kitty from making further runs because if she goes 650 and breaks the sound barrier first, it's not super impressive if he goes like 10 miles an hour more. Okay, I'm sorry. She was denied this because they were like, we're going to make an action figure. Fuck off. So now (laughs) there's been a contested report. Some people say this was said and some people don't, but apparently supposedly I could totally see it being said during this time, a spokesman for the, the company said it is unbecoming and degrading for a woman to set the land speed record. So that may or may not have been said, but I could totally see it being said. Okay. Can we just like, I, right. We, there will never be an amount of time that we can do this podcast where I hear something like that and I'm not just like physically disgusted. Well, the other thing is I'm not shocked either. No, no, I'm I'm not. That sounds about right. I'm disgusted, but I'm not shocked. Exactly. I'm angry. So apparently the representative that said it issued a denial and PR executives insisted that contracts rather than sexism were the deciding factor of not letting Kitty do another run. The funny part, or maybe the best part, maybe both, is Hal didn't even go on to set a record. He didn't even ever drive the car. He was off, like, filming another movie, and so, like, his run never happened. You've got to be kidding nope. me. So Kitty and Ron, Ron, yep, um, actually, like, petitioned and, like, ha- made this big legal push to allow Kitty to have another attempt. Unfortunately, that failed, but the sponsors received negative publicity for not letting Kitty do another run. And Hal, like I said, never got to drive the car. So obviously he never got an action figure. Yeah. I also like to think Hal's like off doing his thing. He's like, wait, what? No, fuck. Right. L- let her do it. I don't give a shit. Like, I like to think he was doing his own thing and didn't. Right. Like, at worst, didn't care. At best, was like, no, fucking like, let Kitty do right. it. <laughs> and the best thing was earlier in the year when asked about like the what she was going to do. Like, and about her, like, life. She said, I'm a liberated woman. I'm not trying to compete against men. I'm just trying to do my own thing. Well, and the thing is. She's like, I don't care about men. I just want, I just want to do me. And what me wants to do is break the land speed record. Yeah, and she's not doing it to be like, 
because men suck. She's doing it because she's like, I want to break the record. Right. I want to be the fastest person. I want to exactly. I want to make this incredible achievement. And I also don't want my records to be um, what's the word I'm thinking of clarified. Yeah, whatever. But, you know, like, like she doesn't want that little asterisk. That's women's. I- exactly. She's like, no, no, no. We're we're not doing that. I want to be the fastest. Period. period. Yeah, exactly. Fuck everyone. Um. So the next year she would qualify. That's the word. I want to be qualified like that. Thank you. The next year she would travel to the Mojave Desert and get to pilot a hydrogen peroxide powered rocket dragster, built by Kai Michelson. Uh, this one went an average of 279.5 miles per hour. However, she only got to do the run once, which means um, due to NHRA rules, which means you have to repeat the run in order for your time to qualify because you have to hit the same speed at least twice. Oh, so it can't be like a fluke. So um, thank you. Oh, we killed it. Yes, thank you. Okay, there's Finally. Been like, okay, there might be another one though. There's been a little yeah, fruit fly flying around and it keeps crawling over my computer and I'm trying to be very professional and not like just start smashing. It just, stuff. it just went into your Oh mind. crap. No, I can drown it. Come on, dos hermanos de Miller. I like that she's <laughs> like, I'm gonna sacrifice my wine to kill the I fruit am. fly, and I'm over here like, don't go on my wine. I wanna drink. No, that. here's the thing. Yes. I killed it because that's how angry I am. This thing has been buzzing around my face the entire time we've been recording. I'm, I'm, I'm just watching hard, me over here like swatting Do you know shit? how hard it is to like be all upset about HIV and it's AIDS like with a fruit our, fly like flying in front of your face? Fly. Like, God damn it. Okay, well, anyways, the wine was sacrificed for the greater good, which was killing that goddamn fly. Yes. Um. So she, <laughs> she wasn't allowed to get the official drag racing record, which sucks, but I kind of get it. Like... It can't be a one-time fluke. I yeah, understand. like, oh, well, the wind just happened to be blowing in your favor. Right, exactly. Yeah. So later that later in her life, in 1979 to be exact, um, she got to be Wonder Woman. <laughs> Not, well, Wonder Woman stunt woman, which still means she got to be Wonder Woman for at least one scene. She um, is Wonder Woman. So Kitty was hired to perform a stunt of high difficulty. So she was hired to perform a stunt instead of the stunt person for Linda Carter. So there was Linda Carter, there was her stunt person, um, Jan Epper, and then Kitty was hired to fill in for the stunt person because the stunt was that dangerous. I just killed another There's one. another one. There's like, there's Ugh. so many. It's all over my hand. That's gross. That's okay. Okay. Um, can I just say like the fact that she's Wonder Woman is... Yeah, she got. She the, literally got to be. There's pictures the role of she her. She was born to play. Actually, I. That's the picture you're gonna have to use for our like Instagram. Yes, her I actually googled her because I wanted to see what she looked like. I saw all these Wonder Woman pictures. I'm like Kelly. If you gloss over the fact that she was Linda mm. Carter's stunt double, I am going she to was, actually. She scream. was uh, Linda Carter's stunt doubles. Stunt, stunt double. double. <laughs> That's how dangerous this stunt was. Yeah. Um. So in the, so the stunt that she did. Um. Got netted her the women's high fall record of 127 feet because she jumped from the 12 story Valley Hilton in Sherman Oaks, California. So you'll all see this picture in our Instagram post about this episode. But is it the one that she's like about to jump off the building? Yeah, she's doing like a she's yep. actually like in the air doing the swan dive kind of pose. Um, you know that feeling you get when you're trying to fall asleep and you feel like you're falling and like your guts go up into your chest. That is the feeling this picture gives you. I hate, she like, has I look love on her it, face too. Like, she's but not I hate scared, it. but she's, like, determined. Yeah, she's like, um, oh, shit, yeah. 
she actually she credited her small size for being able to take the impact so well. She was only about five two and about ninety seven pounds. Oh shit! So she was pretty. T- I mean, you can tell from the picture she was yeah. pretty tiny. Short um, girls rule the world. But yeah, she she said that that like she feels like that's why she was able to withstand the impact. She would later go on to break her own rec- uh, free fall record uh, with an one hundred and eighty foot fall from a helicopter. It was later broken by a woman who accidentally fell out of a plane and fell like 33,000 feet without a parachute and didn't die. (laughs) But this was intentional. Okay, can I just say, I hope that woman, like, they give her the rubbish. She's like, I don't want it. No, I don't want it. No, take it back. Um, Well, she actually, uh, John Lennon, like, gave her the the award for having the longest free fall. And I'm like, okay, maybe that would make it a little bit better. I, mean, I like I like started reading that story. So basically what happened is the woman was like on an airplane and like something went wrong and so she like jumped out of the airplane without oh a parachute God. and survived. <laughs> I hate all of that. Uh, anyways, I'm glad she survived. I that that I like yeah. that part, but like everything else, I'm like Congratulations, you set the free fall record. I mean no thank you. I guess if you're gonna go through this trauma, uh, you at least get a record and Lennon. you get to meet John Lennon. So um, so that same later that year, after the fall from the helicopter, Kitty's life and experiences served as the basis for a biographical movie called Silent Victory, the Kitty O'Neill story. Um, it would star Stockard Channing as Kitty. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So like that was a big name for the time. Uh, Kitty would go on to comment about the movie that it was only about half accurate. <laughs> it wasn't badass enough. <laughs> Well, and I mean, you know, it's it's different having someone that can actually like hear and speak normally depicting a deaf person, you know, like yeah. there are certain struggles that you're not going to accurately capture. Well, and that that's also one of those things, you know, we there, there's a greater push now for accurate representation in movies mm-hmm. of different people and life experiences and having people who reflect those life experiences they're getting a little bit better play those people so kitty would go on to step away from stunt and speed work in 1982 after stunt colleagues were killed while performing oh god she was 36 at the time and she was like nope i'm good i'm done well i'm sure at 36 she's kind of getting up there i think of this as like professional sports yeah exactly your 30s 30s you're kind of at the Top end of the range. You're like a stunt granny. Exactly. So she would move to Minneapolis. Yay. Um, with Kai, who is the guy that built the car that she drove in the Mojave yeah. Desert. So Cool. Um, I couldn't really find anything that clarified their relationships, and I don't really think it matters. Yeah. So she would move to Minneapolis with him, and then eventually she would move to Eureka, South Dakota with Raymond Wald, who she kind of spent the rest of her life with. Again, I didn't... Look for clarification if they were married or not. I don't really care. Doesn't it's not important to the story. (laughs) Um, She's Wonder Woman either way. Right at this time, so when she retired, she had set twenty-two speed records on land and in the water, combined, not separate, combined. Um, So in her later life, her land speed record was being challenged by the driver Jesse Combs who used to appear on Mythbusters. Oh. Um, and when she found out about this, Kitty simply said, I'm proud of her and I'm happy for her. Aww. The two had met previously and Kitty added, if she breaks the record, then I'll do it again. It's a challenge. I What a, what a great spirit of competition. And it really shows that she just wants to do fast right. and be the best. And if someone beats that, she's like, I have an up, another opportunity I will to say be the best. The land speed record was not broken during her lifetime. Okay. 
Kitty O'Neill would die on November 2nd, 2018 of pneumonia. Aww. She was 72 years old. That's the year of this wine. <laughs> oh, um, no. Uh, she would go on to receive an Oscars in memoriam award because obviously she was in a lot of movies in yeah. 2019. I will also say that her land speed record was eventually broken by Jesse Combs. And Jesse would sadly die in the attempt. Oh, no. Um, oh, I because, think I heard about like, that. Something happened and like the wheel like broke. And so the car like broke and she died. Um, I do. Okay. But she was I going remember 841 miles per hour. So she broke the record by a lot. Uh, yeah, no, I do remember this. Or now. no, sorry. 522 miles per hour is 841 kilometers. Clearly the source was not American. Yeah. That I was reading. Oh, that's so sad. It is very sad. I, I mean, I get that. That that's part of the challenge. That's part. It, the risk is part of it. Yeah, that's why and not if, everyone I mean, if can you do look it. Her up. Like, because at first I was like, "Who the fuck is that?" But then I saw her picture, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, she was like on odd. Ep- like she wasn't the main girl on MythBusters. Yeah, but, but she, she was on was there. Featured. Yeah, but yeah. So yeah, no, now no, okay. Yeah, this was something I had like locked away. You're right. I remember yeah, this I happening. Mean, was I was like, was "What the fuck?" Real failure. God, that's sad. Um. Well, and originally when she died, they were like, "Oh, we don't know if she broke the record or not," but it did come out posthumously that yeah, she did break the like yeah. they were giving her it. Yeah, like she she broke the record. She just didn't, didn't survive. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so that, I know I ended on a sad note, but Kitty lived a pretty damn amazing life. And I mean, she was goddamn Wonder Woman. She's fucking Wonder Woman. Yeah. Yeah. And it was funny because I like tried to find the high fall record besides the lady that fell out of the plane and I couldn't <laughs> find anything. <laughs> like literally, if you search high fall record... Kitty is the one that comes up besides the lady that fell out of the well, plane. Well, yeah, because one was just kind of like a miraculous survival story, while one the was, other was exactly. a planned attempt. Yeah. yeah. So I thought it was interesting when you said she moved to Minneapolis, because when I looked up a picture of her, it's like the, the second picture in. Mm-hmm. And it's because she has a very 70s look. Oh, she very much does. But my first, I was like, oh my God, she kind of looks like Mary Tyler Moore, who had the Mary Tyler Moore show, which took place in Minneapolis. What, what? But I mean, I it's just, also, she's got that 70s appearance. I, I think I like skipped a paragraph. Oh, no, I didn't. I just for I apparently del- like I rewrote a paragraph and I forgot to add something. So Kitty in during her height when she was a stunt woman, she had an action figure made of her <gasps> that was sold by Mattel. And you can currently buy it on eBay for like one hundred and twenty dollars. Is it is it the one where she's in the yellow jumpsuit? Yep, she's in like the yellow and red jumpsuit, and it says Kitty O'Neil, and it says TV Star Woman. Okay, you know what I love? Yeah, the famous Daredevil TV Stunt Woman. So she like she was well known enough. Yeah, that Hal never got a goddamn action figure, but Kitty did. I love they're like, well, we can't we can't let her do it because we've already got this action figure thing, and we're sexist and contracts, and then she's the one that ends up with an oh, yeah. action figure. And I mean the. The whatever and Martin whatever and Glass Company or whatever the toy company that was gonna make Hal's action figure I've never heard of. Kitty's action figure was made by goddamn Mattel. They made the Ouija board. Yeah, They're I think a they also make Barbie deal. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, she so she, during her like while she was alive, she was known as the fastest woman in the world. Obviously, I love that. She yeah. just wants to go fast. Yeah, so she's. I mean, she's pretty amazing. Emily. 
Yes, Kelly. What are you thankful for? Oh, God. Thankful I killed that fruit fly. I mean, I feel pretty good about that. <laughs> I killed two, so. No, well, you know what, Kelly? We can't all be as good as you, all right? Stop rubbing it in my face. I know I'll never be as good as you. Now you're better. Uh, I'm glad I have a friend like Kelly to aspire me to greater heights. Right? (laughs) Greater but unachievable heights. (laughs) Two fruit flies. Two fruit flies. That's going to be our spinoff podcast. Two fruit flies and a glass of wine. And that's just going to be us like bullshitting as a Patreon extra or something. So apparently there's, there's a picture of her like falling out of the helicopter. No, don't want. I don't even want to see it. She's literally just like tumbling through the air. She's in she's in corduroy pants and a red sweater. And she's just like falling through the goddamn air. Okay, can she I la- just say? I will say she landed on an airbag. Like this wasn't like a land on the ground thing. That is the most 70s outfit to fall out of a helicopter in. Ew! I hate it. I mean, yeah. And she- I'm not just talking about the corduroy. <laughs> She's literally just like free falling. Surprised she didn't like spark while she was up there. That's why her legs are like apart. It's like, now kitty, don't rub your legs together. You might actually catch on fire. Okay, so I'm looking at this picture, the Wonder Woman picture, and there's a guy standing behind her. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Did someone throw her off the building? It kind of looks like she jumped out of his hands, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure she, I pretty, you know what I wonder? I wonder if she was standing on the balcony railing and he was just making sure she didn't like like, her hips so she wouldn't fall back and so then he's like he like let her go but it honest to god looked like he he looks like he throws her yeah like a cheerleader (laughs) yeah uh no seriously my i can like feel that falling feeling and i do not like it here's a picture of her at no when she lands like that is definitely the most like 70s outfit okay can i just say I had pants very similar to those oh, in high school. I, I, have, <laughs> I love um, those pants. I have purple corduroy pants. Oh my God. We need to have a corduroy day. That would be fun. I loved that book as a kid. Do you remember corduroy? The little, oh, the the little, little bear? teddy bear yeah. at the department store. Yes. And he's looking for a button. So the little girl will take him home and he makes me cry. I'm thankful for corduroy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thankful for corduroy the bear. Read your children that book after you get them vaccinated, please. It's like, that's a sad story. And then the Velveteen Rabbit. No, Super depressing. Fuck off with the Velveteen Rabbit. What else is a really sad, like... Oh. I mean, like, Peter Rabbit's super depressing, too. It is. But do you remember that book about the, the little baby growing up where it's like, I love you so much? Oh, yeah. Or I'll love something. you forever. I'll like you for always. Yeah. As long as you're living, my baby, you'll be. Yeah. I used to sing that song all the time. And then he grows up and, and he's then cradling he's his, his mom. He's cradling his aging mother. And I'm, it's so cute. That book always made me cry. Yep. Even as a child, I would, like, read it to myself. And at the end, I'd be like, why did I do this to myself? I thought I could handle See, it. See, I would read that. And then I'd just go back and read Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs because that was a book first. I know. I never, I never had that. Better. Yeah. Goddamn. The book was better. It was I much still, shorter, but it was better. I still see that book that like, I'll love you forever. There's another one. Another gnat? Yeah. Fruit fly thing? Goddamn. Right, well, Kelly, what are you thankful for now that we're talking about all the sad children's books that devastated <laughs> us emotionally? Sad children's, but no. I'm very um, thankful that uh, I know that Emily made herself cry as a child. 
Maybe that explains why she's so emotional as an adult. Let's delve into this psychologically. (laughs) I was going to say, Kelly, diagnose me. Well, Emily hates herself and clearly doesn't feel she deserves to be happy. (laughs) And from a young age, from a young age, she decided misery was the answer. (laughs) That's why I was so into all the like sad, depressing topics. Baking, no. Holocaust, give yes. me. <laughs> like I must. Lizzie leave. Borden, yeah. I'm. I will figure out who did it. <laughs> I mean, Lizzie did. I'm pretty sure Let's she be did. Honest. Um, yeah. I don't know. Parmy also kind of hoped she did. I would be very shocked if somebody else did it because it's kind of like if somebody else did it, why would they not take the extra like two minutes to kill Lizzie? Well. She wasn't a witness and she no, was taking the fall. I know, but she didn't. I know, but she, everyone thought she did like that completely. They, they focused in on her That's so true. intensely that if I, I was know. the person who actually did I it, I would just like, I think if you're like, going to go into someone's out. house and murder someone, murder the whole goddamn family. I'm not, they didn't murder the maid either. I thought the maid was like out or something. Well, she was outside of the fucking house, but That's she was there. Oh my God. Maybe it was the maid. I mean, honestly, they made her sleep in an attic like, bedroom with no air. I would also murder Lizzie. <laughs> honestly, if it wasn't Lizzie, it was probably the maid. I would probably also murder them because they treated her like fucking shit. Anyway, Kelly, what are you thankful for? No, you were supposed Stop to Stop putting this off. Stop you putting this off. You were supposed to forget. Kelly's thankful for my acute memory. No. Yeah. <laughs> Let me don't fix that. You, don't you pretend to smash me the wine bottle. No, I How dare I you? Wouldn't. I'd have to clean the floor. Though. It'd be that a waste be of sad. wine. I mean, you killed a fruit fly in yours. Yeah, but there's so much wine left in the bottle. And mine was for a good reason. Yours is just like ruining the podcast. <laughs> I mean, you might be fun, like super out of it. Uh, anyway. I don't need to. I don't need a head injury to be super I'm out of it, Kelly. Thankful for friends being on the same page and being willing to open up to me. Um, Is this about me talking about making myself cry while reading? No, <laughs> no, no. It's, I'll, I'll have to tell you. I, I don't want to talk about it on the podcast. I don't want to talk about it on the podcast. But I'm talking about it on no. The like I'm not going to go into the specific scenario yeah. on the podcast, but. I I had a male friend recently that like opened up to me about something and it just, you know, it made me one feel good about myself, (laughs) like that I am someone that can open up, but also like that he, I'm thankful that like I'm in a place where my friends can trust me with things. No, that, that is a good, it is a good thing to have that acknowledgement that you are a safe person to go to. Right. Because not only does it make you feel good for being able to be there for your friends, but also it is a little self-esteem boost. Like, I want to be a safe person and holy shit, I, I, I am. am. Yeah. Oh my God. You and are you know, as Marissa found out via Snapchat, if you ever need me to help <laughs> you beat off sadness or anxiety, I have a wooden sword to assist. Yes. <laughs> I'll just keep spamming her with pictures of my animals being stupid. It was super funny. Like I was, I was cleaning our bedroom and then Marissa like said something about like needing to beat off anxiety, like, you know, like needing help, like fighting off something. And I'm like, I like put down my phone, ran out and I'm like, Justin, where's our sword? Cause we have my bow and my wooden sword. Well, We used to have an actual sword, but apparently he gave it to his brother cause his brother was in this shitty B movie. 
Oh, that's right. It's so bad. So There's a not second worth it. one. I know. There, but the, and that's why you needed the sword. So we didn't have the actual sword. My husband was like, the wooden sword is behind our bed. So I went and dug out the wooden sword mm-hmm. and sent a picture to Marissa. I love it. I love it. So if, you, about if anyone it. needs me to help fight anything off, I'm here. Kelly is the safest person with a wooden sword you'll ever meet. <laughs> I mean, if we really need my real, the real sword, I can go get it. Yeah, I honestly, pocket, I, I have a pocket knife. Did you buy a machete? I didn't. I was going to, and then I bought a hunting knife instead. That's right. I was telling someone. Okay, I went. I really want. It was funny because after I bought it, my husband was like, I thought you were going to buy the machete. And I'm like, yeah, but the hunting knife is so much more practical, even though I don't hunt. Yeah. I honestly, I mean, between a hunting knife and a machete, both like, impractical, like, but one I'm is like, a little more practical. I'm like, now I can skin something as well as stab it. Okay, I actually have a really great knife story where I was talking about you almost buying a machete. <laughs> I went I went tubing with some people and someone brought a like big plastic package of meat sticks. That's were not a like, euphemism. Were you like my friend could have helped. Well, we were it was it was like that like sealed, yeah, like vacuum yep. sealed packaging. And we're like, does anyone have a knife? We need a knife guy in the group. I was like, oh man, Kelly just nice bought girl. a knife. She almost bought a machete, but she's not here. And all of a sudden someone in line behind, we're waiting in line to get on the bus with our tubes. And this random dude in line, like I'm going at this thing with a pop tab. You found a random knife, dude. Random knife dude behind us. I'd already made a joke. I'm like, I bet if we just yell who has a knife, like 20 people are going to yeah. raise their knives in the air. We, there was a knife dude yeah. right behind us. Well, that's why I also, <laughs> when I bought the hunting knife, I also bought a pocket knife for that reason. Yep. Because I'm like, pocket knives are much more practical to carry around for shit like that. He'll be my knife bay. I will. Oh, little knife bay. I'll be your knife bitch. Mm. Hot. Well, on that lovely and totally non-sexual note... Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. Like us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory, Instagram at WAHpod, Twitter at WAH underscore pod. Our website is whiningaboutherstory.com or I think boundlessaudio.com slash whiningaboutherstory. Yeah. We have two now. We're, we're, a, we're a part of a network. We're soups, profesh, and a fish. <laughs> profesh and a fish? Profesh and a oh fish. Oh. Yeah. Fish. Yeah, we're an Irish fish. <laughs> um, we're the so go one, go check out the other lovely podcasts on um, our the network. Boundless Audio Network. And also, we have merch on our whiningaboutherstory.com website. website. Uh, it's sweet. And like Emily mentioned at the beginning, through the end of this month, we will be donating proceeds to our four very special um, designs to an abortion network because everyone deserves to have safe abortions. Yeah, everyone deserves safe health care, god damn it. Right? We also have a Patreon where you can donate as for as little as $1 to get some extra content from us. Yes. If you yes. donate more than that, you get even more. Yeah, you can get like random shit from my house. Side boob. No, I'm kidding. You don't get side boob. Mm. Okay. Maybe. $50 and up side boob? Yeah. Like I'd tasteful. Be, I'd be a, tasteful side boob. Tasteful okay side boob. Yeah. Not not like, you know. I mean, mm, Marissa's like definitely terrible. seen like some major cleavage on me just because some sometimes like the shirts I wear to work, I don't realize <laughs> like this one. I don't realize how bad they get. Kelly, I you, take... you realize it. All no, right. You I do. don't. Until and I take a snapshot. And we're all and very like, thankful. <laughs> oh, that's another story I have to tell you. But yeah. Rate us five stars. Do all that cool stuff. Follow us and support us on Patreon. Keep the wine flowing. 
be awesome. Yeah. So thank you so much for listening. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day, y'all. Bye.